Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Slash Film Daily. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com. And on today's episode, I'm going to present my interview with Mary Poppins Returns director Rob Marshall. Marshall got his start directing films like Chicago and Memoirs of a Geisha and eventually moved on to big Disney projects like Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides and 2014's Into the Woods, where he directed Emily Blunt for the first time. Blunt, of course, stars as Mary Poppins in this new movie, and a few weeks ago I had a chance to sit down with Marshall and talk to him about working with her, and instead of diving into the full story of how this movie came together, I instead decided to concentrate mostly on the big live-action animation sequence that has been featured in all of the trailers. I'm sure you've seen it, even if you haven't seen the movie. So we talk about that, we, we sort of branch off into a few other things here and there, but this is a relatively short interview. It's probably going to be a shorter episode of the podcast than normal, but we figured instead of just skipping today's episode entirely, we'd at least present this for you guys. So hopefully you enjoy our conversation. Here is Rob Marshall. So we only have a few minutes here, so I'd like to focus on the live action animation hybrid. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, I know you, that you wanted to include that sort of as a nod to the original, but tell yes. me about the actual process of shooting like that big dance number, for example. Gosh, it's so complicated. Yeah. Because... Um, you know, we, in addition to live actors, I also wanted to make sure that myself and John DeLuca choreographed to control the rest of the dance. So, like, for instance, like the flamingos that are dancing, like that's something we choreographed mm-hmm. with, with, with women uh, to act as flamingos or the penguins. We had, you know, wonderful dancers that we worked with to create the penguins work. And, and um, you know, it, it's because you're working with children as well, there was a lot of things we had to do so that they could imagine instead of just like well that's that over you know we would I mean as an example we had a, a huge pole with a giraffe's head that would go by so they would have the same eye line and they could see what that is we tried to keep it as we had a lot of storyboards and a lot of previs and that kind of thing so the and so and we you know communicated all of that to the actors so they would understand what it was but we also had reference actors, so we had men in green playing the coachman, playing the horse, you know, playing the wolf, all those things, so that they could interact with real people, and because they're playing real scenes with animated characters, 
um, it was a, it was it was such a challenge, but it was my favorite part of the whole whole, whole making of, of the film. Was that the most daunting part of the movie for you? It was because I thought, well, how do you do this? I don't know how to do this. You know, I don't know the. I mean, I know I know musicals, I know movies, I know visual effects, I know all that. But how do you do this? So it really helped that we had a big, huge workshop that we did um, on the Disney lot in the Hyperion bungalow, which was perfect because it's from the original Disney Studios. And um, we all met there. It was a series of animators from Pixar and also from Walt Disney Animation. Our wonderful animation supervisor, Jim Capabianco, was the in charge. And we were there, myself, John DeLuca, David McGee, who wrote the story with us, and, um, and also Mark Shaman and Scott Wynn, our composers. We were all there working together with these animators who came in with their, you know, with their pads of paper and their pencils and their watercolors and everything and we're like literally creating imagery someone I'll never forget one animator was just sketching something I said he said I'd love to show you something and he showed me her parasol spinning and turning into the um, the musical tent <laughs> and I thought that was the most genius thing I'd ever seen I said well that's in the movie and we put that right up on the board and, you know we we kind of created with the, with you know with all these wonderful minds in a room, it was incredible. And I think previously you said that some animators actually like came out of retirement to yes, help out did. with this. So can you tell me more about that? Yes, because you know what, it's a, it's it's somewhat of a lost art, and so um, we were looking for the best in the business, and they were retired and over sixty whatever, and so um, many of them came out of retirement to help us. But what was interesting was, in addition to them, there were a lot of twenty somethings. Who are interested in the classic, old school animation, hand drawn animation, and and who want to learn that more interested in doing that than mm-hmm. the, the computer generated stuff. So, all of a sudden we were you know there we were you know with like over sixty in twenties like working in the same space. But they, it was it, it was very exciting I think for everybody involved because when do you get a chance to do this? All right. When our reporter spoke with Emily Blunt on the set, she said that the dancing was the most challenging aspect <laughs> for her. Looking back on your experience, did did it seem that way for you on your end? Not for me because I'm a dancer and a choreographer, so I that's that that actually is something that's in my blood. And I but I I will say that it was exciting to work with Lynn and Emily and really tailor make dances for them and for their strengths. But I know that you know that, that it's newer for Emily. You know, having you know. When's the last time she got to be in a production number and be lifted by, you know, 25 men or something? She That's very rare. So she loved it, but she also knew it was incredibly hard. But we had over two months of rehearsal where we drilled it and worked and, and, and got, got better and, you know, were terrible and then got better. And I mean, that's what that's really what, what we were there to do. So how long did it take to film that portion of the movie? So the, well... I think the two big dances for her that she felt were the most complicated were the animation one. That took about a week. And um, and then the uh, Triple Little Light Fantastic, mm-hmm. the big production number with all the men and the Learys, our lamplighters, um, that took over a week. Um, it just takes time because yeah. you're doing so many different pieces of it. But uh, it was thrilling. The uh, the live action animated, animated hybrid sequence, yes. that sort of seemed like that was the part of the film where you could sneak in some winks to older audiences like one of the verses in the the cover is not the book song yes if i'm not mistaken is about a tree being impregnated is that right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> well these are all honestly these are all stories from pl travers really 
Um, Nellie Rabina is a is a character from from um, from. I mean, we we worked from the P.L. Travers uh, uh, chapters in her stories, and so that was really fun. But we, you know, the thing is, we were also in a musical, an English musical, and we know it's always saucy there. It's a little risque, and we wanted to, to do that in the best possible way that we could without going too far. But that's what happens in English musicals. Right. It's part of the tradition. Yeah, and like Emily comes out and does like a little hip thrust in the very beginning, like uh, oh, when that she's was... sort of like uh, oh, yeah. unveiled in, in that different costume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, we, I never thought of that except just like a classic musical step, but, yeah. but no, she, it, it, <laughs> we, we weren't going that far. <laughs> um, did Lin-Manuel write his rap portion of that song, yeah. or was that already? Okay. No, we wrote it for and Mark and Scott wrote it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing is that, uh, Lynn was cast, Emily was cast, Mo- Meryl Streep was cast, Ben Wishaw. They were all cast before the writing started, so they were able to write for them. And Lynn really was interested um, and excited to not be a writer mm-hmm. in this, but just to be an actor. And they knew, you know, they're very, they're very clever lyricists too. And they, you know, they thought, well, we can write this musical patter for Lynn because he's so good at that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was a little tour de force for him, but they wrote that. Yeah, that that was a, a great stretch of performance from him. I that really enjoyed fun. that part. That um, you were talking about like your background with dancing and choreography. Tell me about the choreography of this movie. What was the most challenging aspect for you? Well, um, it's interesting. You would think it would be like the big, huge production number, A Trip a Little Life, Fantastic, but it actually wasn't. It was the underwater sequence that was the most complicated because we were trying to choreograph uh, on wires, similar also with the balloon number too. Mm-hmm. So that was and and trying to do things to you know try to create choreography on when they're up in the air and you know and it's more complicated because you're you're involving visual effects too. So it's this it, it, it you have you know less control that you normally do when everybody's on the ground. So um, that 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 was actually the most complicated I think. So I'm interested in the idea of nostalgia in our culture right now I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there where we're sort of constantly surrounded whether it's like stranger things which is sort of looking back on yeah, the 80s there's yes. like we're, we seem to be sort of inundated in yes. a lot of nostalgic stuff and so I'm just wondering for you you've you've sort of um, across your career you've you've adapted a lot of older properties and things like that so yes. what, what is your relationship with nostalgia and and sort of mm-hmm. um, how do you think that Mary Poppins Returns fits into the modern construct of nostalgia as it exists right now. In our well, I, I think nostalgia plays a huge part in this film because because it, 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 it had to because it, it, it plays into my personal feelings about the film. I mean, I love the original film so much that it just it, it's it's it, it's it's definitely in the fabric of this film, mm-hmm. and I think that you know I had to be careful not to overdo it either. Mm-hmm. So there has to be places where there's an homage here or an homage there or a or a, a, you know an Easter egg there, or something where you think, oh, and those and, and those were placed very carefully, um, and and careful not to overuse it either, because then it just becomes like a rehash or something. Right. But do it in a very respectful way, but in a fun way for people like me. I use myself as a barometer the entire time. I said, what would I want to see? How would I, you know, what, you know, they're going through the attic. I'd love him to pick up the snow globe from Feed the Birds. Mm-hmm. I know people will get that. And, pick, and of course, the kite plays a huge part of us. But you know, we are the extension of that film. We're we're, we're this we're, we're the sequel. So, you know, you want to take some things from it, and then of course create your own 
own material as well. I think I'll probably have time for one more. Uh, okay. What is your favorite of those Easter eggs you were just talking about? Like, obviously, there are the, the more obvious ones that you just mentioned, but are, are there any that are sort of more hidden in the background that you really uh, enjoyed placing in there? That's such a good question. Um, well, I don't think a lot of people know that the original young Jane is in the film, Karen Dotrice. Hmm. Um, she's the... Uh, um, she bumps into Michael as he's running to work. There's just a woman who's asking for an address, and that's the original Jane. And she says something that's very sweet that I, just a few people will get. But she, at, when they, she asks for directions, and then they give them her the directions, so it's just next door. And she says, many thanks sincerely, which is the end of her song, many thanks sincerely, yes. Jane, Jane and Michael. Michael. Thanks, yeah. exactly. So that's, that's a fun one. Excellent. All right, well, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice to see you. Take Thank care. you. There you have it. You can find much more about Mary Poppins Returns, including our review at SlashFilm.com, and I will link to that in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is normally published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com, and if you have life advice you would like to request from Chris Evangelista, feel free to send that in to peter at slashfilm.com as well. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you're looking to give us a a small gift this holiday season. That would be a really, really uh, helpful way to spread the word about the show. I'm not sure what the podcast schedule is going to be like. As I record this right now, we haven't fully decided on what this week is going to look like in terms of podcasts yet, but uh, stay tuned. We'll have something for you very soon. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time.